0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 620, and the quote of the day is, no matter how successful you get, you should always send the elevator back down. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey! what's going on, everybody? Nick Rafini here, episode 620. And I got my man, Ulysses Owens Jr. back on the podcast. The last time I had him on was in 2018. And he is always up to something really, really amazing. He just came out with a new book that we talk about in detail in this episode. But we also talk a lot about mentor-mentee relationships. If you're an older player helping other people come up. If you're a younger player, we talk about how to approach older players and how to build relationships and, and really how to add value to a situation or get in contact with people and become peers with people. And there's a lot of things that happen now, specifically online that we talk about where people just sort of slide into people's DMs and ask for favors or ask people to share things and don't really do the work getting up to uh, to the point where they they should before asking for a favor. So we get really deep into this conversation and Ulysses has a great way of, of talking about all this and offering some great advice. And again, we talk about his book and he's just a monster player, but also a creative entrepreneur, a thought leader. And I love his process and and the mentality and the mindset that goes into everything that he does. Plus the hard work and dedication to, to see it through and, and make sure that idea or, or whatever it is he's working on come to fruition. So a great conversation with someone who I'm honored to have had on once, let alone twice. So big shout out to Ulysses for, for doing the podcast twice. I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with Ulysses Owens Jr. Ulysses, what's up, my man?
1: What's up, man? Good to see you, Nick.
0: Likewise, likewise. Round two. Yes, you're in, you're in the hot seat once again.
1: Man, thank you for having me. I, I, before we get into it, I, I got to tell you, I'm such a fan of what you're doing, man. Really, advantage-
0: I, I appreciate it. I was I was going to uh, publicly thank you for always like <laughs> always sharing things on uh, on the gram and every. It, it really means a lot, so thank you. Well, it's
1: good stuff, man. I, I share it when it's good. So,
0: well, I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I think everyone thinks I'm paying you to do it, but uh.
1: no, man, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, I get these messages as I'm sure you do, where, you know, people are like, oh man, well, can you share whatever can, you? and I'm like, it just make it good content. If it's good content, or I should say great content, I'll share it, like, right, or it's, right. and, and, or relevant to me or my yeah. journey. And you, do you, you do that so many
0: times. Do you get messages like, cause I, I mean, I understand why I get it because I'm, it's like a media company, right? Yeah. I mean that makes it sound like it's much bigger than it is but it you know we're a, we're a media company right but so yeah. people are like hey here's a video of me playing can you share Yeah do yeah. you get you get messages like that too
1: Oh I get it all the time I get uh, hey I'm a, I'm an artist um can you please uh, follow me one time man mm-hmm. I had a, a person who actually got kind of belligerent. And, you know, they were like, Hey man, I'm, I'm following you. And, and if, if somebody follows me and they send me a message saying, Hey, I love what you're doing. I'm following you. I'm always like, Hey, thank you so much. Cause I, I appreciate every follower, you know, right, right. everybody. And so I sent my message to him and, and he was like, all right, cool. Follow me back. And I just, I didn't respond. <laughs> and then like a few, like, like minutes later, he's like, yo man, follow me back. <laughs> I was just like, Hey, man, thanks again for the follow. Like, I didn't know that you following me meant that it had to be this um, reciprocal thing, you know, but it was very kind of forceful. So, yeah, to your point. um, Yeah, I get those messages. I also get, hey, can you please share this? Um, I get also, can you please promote this? And I Mm -hmm. tell people all the time, I'm very big on like like promoting people, um, because like, for instance, I mean, man, people have been so kind and generous to me, Mm -hmm. even with my book, my CD or anything I put out but it needs to have something to do with me or something, you know what I mean? Or like, right, or, right. you know, I, I feel like I'm not just gonna like pick some random person and just, you know, shout out their stuff. Or like if a friend of mine, like my friend Alicia Olatouja, who's incredible, Um, She has this great vocal course called Vocal uh, Breakthrough Academy. And every time she releases a new course, I put it on my platform because Mm -hmm. she's an amazing coach and I want everybody to go to her because I've seen people go to her and they become better. So it's the same thing. Like, so I feel like, you know, if you if you're doing your thing, people are going to want to share it, especially if it's valid and it brings results to whomever may be, you know, checking it out.
0: I agree. I you know and and I don't I don't mean to like start this podcast off like we're like we're complaining or griping about No, but, no, 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 no. But I think that there I think that people need to hear it like any a lot of times when I see someone they're like so and so started following you to me I'm like so and so is now going to be tagging me in every single video that has nothing to do with me. So, and that happens a lot. Like I get tagged in videos. Like there's there's this guy who sends me a direct message every single day of a new video of him him playing drums. So here's my thing. I think that you have to add some sort of value or at least like participate in the conversation. Like if, like, for example, if you, maybe it's a little different with you because we're buddies and you've been on the podcast and stuff, but if someone was constantly commenting on my posts and was like, Hey, this is great. Or just part of the conversation. Right, and then they right. sent me an awesome video. I'd be like, yeah. hell yeah, I'll share this.
1: Well, well here, here, man. And, and I, I'm not doing this as a shameless promo. I'm really, I'm really talking about this. I'm glad we actually started with this. But I talk about this in my book all the time, uh, or in my book that's, that just released. And what I talk about is do not fabricate a relationship that's not there, right? And yeah. what I mean is, is that if you and I have a relationship, and, and there's degrees of relationship, right? You and I have a relationship via Instagram and via you support my platform, I support your platform. Also, mm-hmm. you've asked me to be on your show. So there's a relationship and I support you. So if I, if I add to that relationship via tagging you or whatever, then I'm adding to something that exists. There's a right. lot of people that want to fabricate a connection or a relationship and then the benefits of those relationships. And they haven't sort of uh, dealt with uh, sort of step one. And so to your point, I've also been tagged, you know, in drummer videos. Like I mean, I've had drummers transcribe solos. And and that's cool because I'm like, oh, wow, like you transcribed something I did, man. Thank you. I, you know, and if they transcribed it on a certain you know level where it, it's, it's the ideas are coming across, I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. cool. Like I try to share it. But if you're just some random person that you just want me to give you attention or you just want me to notice you. My thing is, where's the relationship? Have you sent me a message and said, hey, Ulysses, what's up? I'm a fan or like what? Like where is that? Where's the meeting point? And I also talk right. about and I, and I promise I'll move on. I also talk about really knowing where you are in the equation, right? So for instance, you and I are colleagues and we're peers, right? Mm-hmm. Versus some young drummer who is fresh on the scene is not your peer, right? right? They're somebody that's trying to get to a place where they can be your peer. And so when you understand where you are in that scope, you understand how to approach people so for instance if i hit up steve jordan and i'm like hey steve i would love to have your uh input on something i understand i'm not steve jordan's peer he is right. someone that mentors me he is someone right. that, res- that 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 uh <laughs> respects me and supports me but we are not peers right. so i i come to him with a certain kind of grace and a certain kind of humility because mm-hmm. of that and i think what we're talking about is kind of the absence of that is more right. entitlement in the approach
0: Right, there's like three cats who can message Steve Jordan as the as his peer and
1: beard. not even them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I wonder or if Steve wake,
1: Yeah, I was gonna say Steve,
0: but like but Steve I wonder, not even on social media. I wonder if he just wakes up and just says, you know, looks in the mirror and he's like, "Man, I'm Steve Jordan." Um, well, well, you know, as far as I had a chance to
1: hang, I mean, Steve is a he's a he's a I won't call him a friend. I'll call him a supporter and, and a mentor because I'm not right. on his level to be a friend. But he just oozes cool. Like I remember one. I, I have to tell you one quick story. I was I was in L.A. and uh, I was there for something. And Steve was in town producing one of John Mayer's records. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was Clayton Cameron, you know, the, but- yeah, brush master. the brush master. It's Clayton's yeah. birthday. And so Clayton and Steve, Steve invited me to breakfast with them. Uh, so we went to this place on Sunset Boulevard to have breakfast. So I'm already, like, freaking out. I'm like, you know, even though Steve is, like, my friend, you know, a sport, I'm like, I'm going to breakfast with Steve and Clayton, you know. Right. So I get out the car. You know, L.A. has a lot of valet parking. So I get out the car, and Steve just, like, walks out the car, you know, with it's chain dangling, <laughs> you know, his boots on. And I was just like, and I walked up, I was like, why are you so damn cool, man? And he just busts us out man. Right? <laughs> you know, Clayton's got on, like, a button-up. yeah i got on like a t-shirt and steve's just like you know it's like slow motion
0: (laughs) he just like glides across the floor
1: yeah you know we're going into like you know ida claire's or something to have breakfast he's just like (laughs) rolling (laughs) stones
0: well we were we we were at uh we were at nam and uh i was standing next to george benson yeah. And he had a pink suit. I wasn't with him. I was just there yeah. along with everybody else. And he had like he had a pink suit on, first of all. And he looked at his ma- and like people started kind of getting around him. And I told the story before. But uh, and and he looks at his manager and he goes, he goes, come on, baby, we got to breeze. I got to catch that arrow. He said, I got to catch that aeroplane. plane. I was like, I'm yeah, right. never, See? ever going to be anywhere even remotely as cool as George. Yeah, said.
1: man. No, nobody's ever gonna be that cool, you know. It, and that's what you're <laughs> like. You're like, all right, that that's that's boss. Right? Yeah, <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, man. I was but like, no, I've, right. jacked
1: up your whole, I've jacked up your whole. beginning of your interview.
0: No, <laughs> yeah, it's good. I like I like these conversations. We've just established that you know we're not as cool as Steve Jordan and exactly and Benson, so I'm cool with that. Um, so th- you know the interesting thing, like now I I'm sure you get it too. Like people people are, are sort of like younger drummers uh, are trying to figure out like how do you build these relationships? But I didn't grow up with social media. Right, Same. so like I'm, I just turned forty, so I yeah, me and you are
1: your part. Yeah. yeah,
0: so like I, I mean, now you know we kind of grew up at towards the end of college with with social media and stuff, right. but like I didn't have it growing up, so I when I was meeting people at the clubs, going to concerts, like writing emails, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, how do you suggest that people start to do it now? Like if you're a younger drummer, or if you're just if you're not a peer of someone else's, and I get, let me, let me ask, this, sorry, this is a long question, but this is sort of a two part question. One, how do you develop those relationships? And two, why, why do drummers feel like they need to form all of these relationships with drummers? Mm-hmm. I always wanted to make, I always wanted to have relationships with organ players and guitar players and singers and MDs and songwriters, producers. Like knowing a thousand drummers doesn't really, doesn't really help my career
1: yeah so I just want to restate the question so I make sure I understand so the first question was again like how do you build relationships
0: how do you think that people can build relationships now in the age of social media without just blindly dming people and be like hey can you share my video
1: right and then and then and then the secondary one is like why do drummers feel that they need to only be in relationship or connected to other drummers
0: Right, or who you yeah. know, or who would you suggest that that drummers build relationships oh. with?
1: Well, you know, first of all, one of the things and and I've talked uh, I've, or I should say I've heard winter Marcellus talk a lot about this is that we have to acknowledge this new generation has a level of social awkwardness and a level or a lack in social development skills mm-hmm. because of the internet, right? So we have to acknowledge that you and me can also get on the phone and rap or or text or communicate. Like normal people, aside from our relationships on social media, because you right. and I, as you said, had about eighteen to twenty some years where we had to learn how to do that. So we have to acknowledge empathetically that this new generation does not—they didn't have that, right? Most right. generation, most of this new generation was born into an iPhone or born into social media. So we have to acknowledge because of that reality there's certain things that are just missing. Like, for instance, there are certain people I've even been in relationship with personally that they prefer to text, you know, uh, um, about a matter or text about, you know, something in life than to just pick up the phone and call. But that's right. because of that comfort. So, so I think what we, before we can deal with the the, the subject matter, we have to deal with the, the differences between our generation,
0: right? right.
1: Yep. Then- More directionally, I'll start with the last question. When you talk about drummers knowing other drummers, I think that drummers, young drummers want to be connected and validated. Right. Like we all as human as human beings, part of human nature is to be seen and to be heard and to be validated. So I think what better way as a young drummer to say, wow, like drummers resources shouting me out Um, or Ulysses Owens gave me, you know, thumbs up or. You know, and I'm happy to do that because there are people that have done it for me. I think Mm -hmm. the disconnect is sometimes we want that before we're ready. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have not we have not gone through the process to necessarily earn that. Before Steve Jordan called me um, or before I was able to get in the room with Steve Jordan, I'd already had a career for about, you know, 10 years. And someone connected me to him. And that's when he agreed for us to start building a relationship. So I think the first key, I'm going to kind of answer both things at the same time. The first key in building a relationship is you've got to do your due diligence and do the work to be respected, because people on a higher level are, as the saying goes, birds of a feather flock together. Mm -hmm. So Steve Jordan is not going to just hang out with anybody. He's only going to hang out with people that are a reflection of him and that, help him to continue to be who he is so either you need to be someone who he's mentoring so he sees who he was or someone that challenges him to be better and i think the way to build a relationship is first you got to make sure you are aligned with whoever it is you're trying to build a relationship with Mm -hmm. and then understanding what is going to be your relationship so if you're trying to uh connect with someone who's who's more known than you then you probably should pursue a mentor mentee relationship or a teacher student relationship if -hmm. you're on the same level of that person, then you should say, Hey man, we're both peers. I would love for us to connect. Let's seek to be colleagues. If yeah. that person, if you're uh, uh young, like if, if, if the table is turned and you're older than that person, then maybe, Hey, you say, Hey man, I really love what you're doing. Or, Hey, uh, you know, sis, I love what you're doing. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. So right. I think that you really need to survey the position of mm-hmm. where you are with that person. And so I see a lot of people, I'll say this and be quiet. I see a lot of people that don't Ascertain the position. So this young kid just runs right up to drummer's resource saying, Hey, hook me up, not realizing you just started playing drums yesterday. Yeah. And you, you know, you just got sticks the day before, and you just got a practice pad the day before that. You yeah. probably should just check out drummer's resource and get all the amazing information. And maybe in a little while, when you are at a at a stage where you could present something, then maybe then reach out. You know, so yeah. I, I think that's where the disconnect is. And then I, I just want to agree with you that. All the people that have ever really, really helped me in my life artistically have been mostly non drummers. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) to your point, you know, drummers are not going to give other drummers a gig, but bass players will. Pianists will. Vocalists will. You know, producers will. So I agree that we need to make sure our circle is well-rounded and full of people who need you as a drummer, as opposed to someone being a drummer like Steve Jordan. Has never given me a gig, but he's given me great advice and helped right. me figure out how to be a better drummer or a better producer. So mm-hmm. I think we just. So I agree with your, your other point.
0: And I, yeah, and I agree. You have to have other. You need drummers in your life that are that are better than you that are going to push you or right. or or that are going to mentor you. One of the things that you mentioned about uh, you know reaching out and and developing a mentor mentee relationship or a student teacher relationship. As you were saying that, I was thinking back. Most of the people early in my career who I really connected with were people who I saw somewhere and said, hey, can I take a lesson from you? And I'll pay you for for your time. And and there there were a lot of times, I mean, even that's kind of how Drummer's Resource started where I was like, I want to sit down and talk to someone. I I just want to have coffee with you. I don't want to, I don't even need to sit behind the kit. I want to, I just need some wisdom, but your time is valuable. I'll pay you. Whatever you charge for a lesson, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it at Starbucks and just have a cup of coffee.
1: But but let's stop there, Nick. Let's stop there. You're, so you just answered your own question for your audience about how do you build relationships. Let's just analyze the three things that you just said. The first thing was you genuinely wanted information, so you sought out people who could give that information to you. Second, you said you just want to like get it anyway, like like you 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 like all you want is the information. You don't want that person's influence. You want the information. Then you said I'm willing to pay for it, right? Mm-hmm a lot of people right now are removing that third piece and i'm not saying i have to be paid but there is a reality of you valuing people first of all you know what you want then you value their time and then you value that what you want may not be what they want so then you figure out what is it that i need to give them so that what i want becomes part of what they want or they don't mind giving that to me Mm -hmm. this generation has not unpacked that last piece they've not figured out do I either need to pay this person or do I need to figure out how to make this worth their while so that what I want is also on the table? Yeah. Right. I always yeah. say to people this work, nothing in life is free. So if somebody's giving you something, there's something you need to give to them. Now, we don't know what that is. And that's where you have to sit down with that person and you have to work to an agreement of what that is. But don't just expect people to just do things for you. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. I agree with you. I think that is what's missing is that that whole thing of. I, yes, I want this, I want that, I want that, but what are you willing to give to get what it is that you say you want
0: yeah, and i and I don't mean this to sound like. Like I had it all figured out or anything, but thinking back, I'm like, okay, what worked for me? So there was a studio that I lived across the street from, where the guy was like, you can practice in here. I said, well, what do you what do what do you need me to do? I was like, I'll clean the bathrooms. Whatever you need me to do, something to help around the studio. Stanton Moore, I knew was coming into town, and he wasn't with Galactic; he was with his trio. So I was like, they're in a they're in a van, and they don't have a road crew. So I emailed him, was like, hey, do you need you need help carrying your drums in and setting them up and all that kind of stuff? He's like, yeah, I would love that. You know, it's like. I, I would always try to figure out weight because I'm I'm 19, 20, 21, 22 years yeah. old. Um I don't have anything else to offer except some time, some money. Absolutely. You
1: know, but but that's part of but that's also part of the thing. I mean, same. Every time I've been anywhere near Steve, I'm like, hey, you want me to pack something up? You want you know, mm-hmm. you want me or, or I show up with with hey man, you want you know, do you want this or do you want that? And I'm not saying that to say like to insinuate a pay to play. But I do think that value, to your point, people's time is value. And also the more famous or the more regarded somebody is, their time is even more valuable. So you've got to figure out like a guy like Steve, who we keep referencing or even Stanton, by the time they wake up, there's a laundry list of things and people that they need to tend to before their day starts. So how can you become part of their day or part of the little bit of time that they may have to give Uh or spare? How can you be the person that gets that? Yeah. Because you're already time. right? Uh, because you're already going to be in competition with their lives yeah. and all the various things that they have to do. So.
0: The caveat to that is, don't go to the club and get drunk and then ask them if you if they need help packing up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah, right.
0: We've all had the guy that's like trying to help you pack your drums up when he's drunk. Right.
1: <laughs> also, also, man, I, I want to say before we move on, I want to say too, Nick, let's not also dismiss genuine and authentic energy, right? Um, you and I both know we've had people approach us on social media and you can tell uh even through social media their genuine love and or their genuine, you know, spirit for what they mm-hmm. who they are and what they want from you. So let's not also remove that from the table as well. People can tell when somebody's coming up to you and it's like, all this person wants is da-da-da-da-da. You know, and then you can also tell, man, this person is young, man. They just they're just looking for somebody to give them some advice. So I think Let's not dismiss just having a good heart and having very genuine and peaceful intentions.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, even when you, even if you reach out to someone on social media, it it blows my mind how many people just reach out and just ask and and don't even like, you know, when so, if someone emails me or messages me and they're like, hey man, I really love the podcast, you know, right. I got some great information out about. Even that, I'm like. My guard's down a little bit. Right, right. Even if I'm like, sometimes I don't know if it's sincere or not, but like it at least makes you feel good.
1: Then you're like, all right, I'll at
0: least talk to you.
1: I mean, you know, half the time, man, I feel like what we're talking about is just, I don't want to say common sense, but I would just say human, just human being interaction 101, right? Mm -hmm. Which is if you want to connect and make a genuine connection with someone, there's a cause and effect and there's a way to, to uh to get that person's uh, attention, and I always say to people, treat someone the way you want to be treated, yeah. you know, because we all like it's all relative, right? Like there's you and me, then there's you know Steve and his peers, then there's some college students, then to the college student, uh, there's some high school student trying to get into their audience, then for the high school student, there's some middle school student, you know, so yeah, if for no matter where we are in the spec are on the spectrum, there's always that relationship mirroring itself in other parts of our life so just treat people the way you want to be treated to those that may admire you because we all we all got somebody that's admiring us for something
0: yeah and i agree and the the part of you were saying about high school to college college to maybe out of college you know yeah i would always the, the mistake i see a lot of people make and i made it early in my career too where i would try to go from you know the local drummer to like steve jordan well, right, got, there's right. a lot of drummers in there's between. There's a lot of steps you, in
1: between, yeah.
0: That you sort of gotta like and then I started realizing like, okay, if you know, even with different players, like I would see a band that was like a little bit bigger than our band, and I would try to like connect with that bass player and then yeah. get into that crowd. And okay, now you've just leveled up a little bit. And it and it wasn't like that calculated or or yeah. like you know, or, or uh or that like manipulative, but I was like, I can't go from like from you know, this local band to trying to play with Sting. You know, like there's a yeah. there's, there's some stuff in the middle and, there that I gotta that I gotta attain.
1: I agree. And I'll tell you, that is the the one um unfortunate thing about social media is that the lines are so thin between mm-hmm. like Sting is on social media right. and the the high school kid is also on social media. And, you know, before you would never get within an arm shot of Sting unless you were in his crew. Right. Or, or you know, part of the show, or whatever. Well, now, because Sting is on social media and right next to him is this high school student and yeah. all that high school student has to do is click a button and put a message. And it actually gets to Sting or someone connected to him in a matter of nanoseconds. It also makes that high school student think that they're closer to Sting than they are. Yeah. And that that is really the disconnect that we're having is uh, the accessibility is so much smaller now. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, and, you know, like, I, you know, very quick story. Like I remember being in college and I read Quincy Jones's autobiography, autobiography um, was autobiography of Q or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it changed my life. I was so uh, taken by his book that uh, I read it when I was maybe 18. I was like, I want to meet this man. I want to meet this man. I would write in dream journals. I want to meet Quincy Jones and all this stuff. Nick, it wasn't until I started playing with Joey Alexander uh, about four years ago that I met Quincy Jones. Wow. Now, mind you, I read this book when I was 18,
0: 19.
1: And by the time I got to to Joey, I was maybe 33, 34. Mm -hmm. So you do the math. (laughs) So I say it's a big gap. That's a big gap. But also look at what happened in that time. You know, I had gone to this great college. I graduated, built a career, built a career with multiple artists, then built a career with this other exceptional artist. Then out of that career, Joey and I and the group that we had, that group started getting a lot of attention and a lot of accolade because of the level of, of artistry that we sought to play with every night. And it got the attention of Quincy Jones. So it's not even so much that it took 18 years or you know 15 years or whatever. Is what what steps did I go? I, I went through some exceptional steps that got me there. You know right. what I mean? So yeah. I, I think that what we have to re- we can't remove is for what we want or the access that we want, there are some exceptional steps and opportunities that will probably have to come to us and we'll have to be blessed with over time and with patience that will then line us, align uh, us with the dreams and the things that we that we want. And we just have to we have to
0: be patient. Yeah, I think a lot of it to me feels like a Hail Mary where people are like, Yeah. Like if you, you, you know, Scooter Braun, the, the, I don't manager. know him. No, he, ban- he, he owns, um, uh, SB projects, but he manages Ariana Grande and Demi Lovato. Oh, wow. Big, like, okay. It's I mean, a big he, this guy's like, he's a major, okay. major, uh, player. Okay. And anytime he posts anything, he manages just, he's, he's the one who found Justin Bieber. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so, and he's our age. He's like, wow. He's, okay. 30 he's 39 so, okay um but he anytime he posts anything he has like two million followers on social media mm. and anytime he posts anything everyone's like scooter listen to my music listen to my wow. music listen to i'm like and i'm like this dude is not going through his comments and looking to see like whose music he should listen to find the guy who's nine people below scooter try to build a relationship with him or her and like, get in, yeah. get in where, and he, and he said something in an interview that I thought was that I thought was really powerful. He's like, everyone sees me now. And I'm friends with Daniel Eck from who started Spotify. And I'm, I'm friends with like all the people who own all the record labels and everything. He was like, all those besides Daniel Eck, he was like, all those other guys, they were all like interns and, and like very low on the totem pole when I was getting started. And we were just at the same level and we just came up together. You know, so like, uh,
1: it's like, what I said. I, yeah. Sorry, go
0: ahead. He was just like, I, I didn't just like come out of the gate and then go and, and make all these relationships with these people at the top. I, we came yeah. up together.
1: I, it's what I said earlier. Birds of a feather flock together. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like all my, you know, you mentioned a big thing about age, right? Like all peer group, like age is your peer group, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, when I mentioned, you know, like I got to tell people all the time, like Jonathan Batiste, is all the rave right now i remember when jonathan was 17 and he played on my senior recital and so if i see jonathan now in the street we'll give each other a big hug we'll laugh we'll talk catch up about family and he also happens to be jonathan batiste but we were peer our our peers we went to juilliard together like so i think to your point like what you have to make sure is like like be aware of your peer group and 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 fully engage in that peer group but also the further i should say the harder you work to elevate yourself, then you will belong to these circles, even right. if it's belonging as a mentee, right? Because mm-hmm. even being a mentee is something that is nothing to, to to laugh about. Like being a mentee is incredible that somebody of, of whatever level could see value in you to say, hey, you're not my peer, but one day you're probably going to be there. So let me bring you into my camp and help you out. That to me is what a lot of students should manage uh, or to really should pursue. I don't mm-hmm. think enough kids wanna be students and I don't think enough people wanna be mentees. I think that, that is what's missing I, from, from today.
0: I agree with that. I agree we with that. We need more
1: students and we need more mentees because you know if you're hitting me up and you're 16 years old, you're asking me to share your video, you are not my peer. You're, you're not my peer. You're, you're, you're either a student if you choose to take a lesson or you could potentially be a mentee if our if our goals align. That mm-hmm. is that at that juncture, that is what we are. But you being sixteen, thinking, "Oh, I'm you know I'm gonna just hit Ulysses up and tell him to hook me up." No, we're not we're not on that level. Yeah. Just like I'm not on the same level as you know Lewis Nash or Carl. When I hit up Lewis Nash to this day, hey Mr. Nash, hope you're well, man. I would love to get some of your time. I'm very humble because this is not my peer. So I think again, I'm gonna always repeat. The same thing. We need to go back to, who are we? Where are we? What is our position? So that we can be able to get the best out of that situation in that relationship.
0: Yeah, yep, I agree. And the flip side of it is, if you are at the top, I, I forget who said it, but it's a quote. Basically, like if you've done well in the business that you've wanted to do well in, then I think it's your job for the majority of the time to send the elevator absolutely. back down.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and I will say that um, I don't see enough people doing that either. Um, uh, you know, as much as we got, you know, we spent a large amount of time talking about the students and the mentees, we need more mentors. We need mm-hmm. more teachers, we need more people that are that are unafraid to open up the door. Uh uh, like I heard a quote one time, it said, A mentor is a person that is uh unafraid to open up their life as a book and allow people to read the pages of it and learn from it, you know. Yeah. And yeah. so that I mean, that's why I wrote this book. I wrote the book because I wanted people to have a resource and to hear some of my truth and hear some of my own narrative that it may help them as opposed mm-hmm. to being very close chested and and like a lot of people are and, and not wanting to help other people. So I agree. You get up there and, and, and here's the thing. You get up to the top of one building, you send an elevator back down so then you can go to another elevator and get to the top of that. Right. So I think yep. as we keep going up, then you keep sending that elevator back down because we're going to continue to grow as we give to other people.
0: hmm. People have asked me why I help other drummers start podcasts or why I produce other mm-hmm. podcasts for drummers. I'm like, why wouldn't I? What, like, there's no, I mean, like I, I spent all this time figuring all this out. If someone else wants yeah. to do it, I don't have the monopoly on, on drumming right. podcasts. Right. Like, sure, I'll help you. What do you what do to right. know? I'm like, I'm an open book, you know? Like, right, right. It's what, that, it's
1: what should be. It's what
0: should be. I think it comes back to you too, so.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's
0: real. Uh, So I want to switch gears a a bit and talk about the balancing act that you do between business and artistic pursuits. Because a lot of times we think that the money is sort of going to, you know, following business or following money a little bit is going to ruin our creativity, or it's going to sort of steal our soul and we're going to do, do the wrong things because we're just chasing after the business. But the flip side of it is if you, people think if you lean too heavily on art and creativity and you're not worried about money, then, then you you know, you're going too far in one direction or the other. How have you managed to, to balance it? And my guess is that, you know, a lot of the book contains, contains this information too. One, how, how have you been able to balance the artistic pursuits and the business pursuits?
1: That's a great question. I think the way that I'm able to manage the artistic and the business pursuits are that they're all parts of goals that I have, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, I always tell people when they ask me similar questions, what are your goals? What are, like, we have to go with what your goals are. My goals have always been to not just be an artist. I always, probably as of about, well, I'll give you the timeline. Up to the time I was about uh, 13, 14, I knew I wanted to be a drummer. Then mm-hmm. from the time I was about 16, I was like, I want to be uh, a jazz drummer. Then from the time I was about 18, I knew I wanted to be a jazz drummer that moved to New York City. And I wanted to be the next Louis Nash. I wanted to be one of the most in-demand jazz drummers. I was very clear. So I moved to New York. Louis Nash became my teacher, went to the Juilliard School and I spent the next uh 10 years pursuing that. And then when I started working uh, and then I was working with a bunch of singers, you know, like, I, you know, I was I was in demand as a singer drummer. I was in demand as the, the sub king was seven for everybody. Then when I got with Kurt Elling, um, after working with him simultaneously, McBride, Nick Payton, then I started to become like that guy that everybody was calling. Um, then it got to the point where I was that guy for a while on a bunch of sessions and doing all that stuff. But then I just kind of felt like I was at everybody's mercy. Like basically I was only worth something if someone called me. If McBride mm-hmm. canceled the tour, if he decided to go somewhere else or Kurt canceled the tour or Nick decided to use another drummer, I was just out there. So then I was like, mm. I need to try to be more like a band leader. So then my goals changed from being the 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 guy as a drummer to like, I want to be a band leader. But then I realized there was a gap there. Like, I realized there were so many things that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't figured out. I hadn't really formulated my own sound. I put out a couple of records, but not really records as a band leader to be booked. So then I started saying, well, damn, I got I got to put together projects that could be large enough to really position me in a certain kind of way. Mm -hmm. So I started taking less sidemen work and I started doing that. Um, Then I was like, man, like, I really love this production thing. So I'm going to keep building and curating these projects. But I really want to, like. Build my production company because at one point I actually had a record label, but Mm -hmm. I didn't have the capital to sustain it. So I said, "Okay, I'll do this production thing." So I still have my production company; it's eleven years old. Um, Then I said, "Okay, man, like people keep asking me about business, you know, like they keep asking me about business. I'm I'm obsessed with music business. I, you know, all the people I work with, from Kurt to Christian to Nick to whoever, I'd have these fireside chats with them and these dinners and these breakfasts with them, asking them different business advice." And so then, um, when I left McBride's band, I had a meeting uh, at Chamber Music America, and they were kind of like, "What's next for you?" And I said, "Man, I think I'm you know I'm working on this book." And so then I was like, "All right, I want to be an author, and I want to like kind of move into this creative entrepreneurship space." So I think to answer your question, the way that I've always balanced my artistic versus the business is that I always understood and was clear about like what I wanted out of both, and and I never made them like one pay for the other. The art thing, being a drummer, is always what's my first calling card. So Mm -hmm. I'm still, thankfully, even to this day, still getting calls to just play drums for people. So that's kind of what has kept money in the bank. Um, And then as I leverage that with building my career as a band leader uh, to create other opportunities, then that helps. And then those things give me sort of the bandwidth to do the business stuff. But I don't think that there's ever a balance. I think you make choices about what you want and how you want to do them. And then life shows up. You kind of talked about the hell Mary life shows up and it, it lets you know what it actually wants you to do, you know? So, um, I think we also can't dismiss, like, I had all these goals and had all these desires and some things just didn't work. You know, like I said, I tried to start a record label. It tanked in like three months, you know? Um, then when, when it was time for me with production to not have it as, I mean, I was producing like eight records a year at one point. Now I'm lucky if I produce one or two a year and that's because I just don't my my focus is my focus is other places. so I don't know if there's ever a balance between art and business more so than I think you have to be honest about what your goals are and where you want to go and within what those goals are, you make the space and the time to satisfy those goals and then I think that's when you start figuring out am I doing more of this today or am I doing more of that today you know mm-hmm. hopefully yeah. hopefully that answers your question.
0: it does. I have a couple of questions. Sure. About that, it's interesting. I look. I, I was on your site yesterday, and in your about section, it says creative entrepreneur. If you go to my website, it says the same thing.
1: Oh wow! It says, I didn't know. It that. Says, it's like creative
0: <laughs> entre- I'm, just, I'm like you and I see eye to eye on, on a lot of things, right? And, and then I was like, I hope he doesn't think I stole that from him. Uh,
1: no, but- I didn't even <laughs> on your site. Hey man, there's more than one creative entrepreneur. Out there. No,
0: I know, I know, but I'm, I'm like that's how that's how I identify. Yeah. You know, I'm like yeah. I, I'm like, I play drums and I build businesses. like that's what I like to do. right absolutely so, absolutely what what do you what do you say to the person that is like, Look, man, I'm a drummer. I'm not really interested in in business. like I don't really it's not interesting to me i need I know I need to make money, but but I don't necessarily I don't understand it. I'm not interested in it. It's boring to me, and I don't want to have anything to do with it because there are God a bless, lot of artists
1: like that. God bless them. so I have a section in the book where it's called Career Profiles." Mm-hmm. And it's a term that I that I kind of created um or borrowed it from someone. I don't know how it arrived, but it just you know how you have things that just arrive in your mind and mm-hmm. you just start using them like creative entrepreneur. Like right. I heard it one day and I just started using it. And it and then my life started evolving. But anyway, I have um a section that's called car- Career Profiles. And in that section, I talk about how everybody chooses a profile. And 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 a career profile to me is really like a moniker. It's like a like uh it's it's an actual sort of occupation. So Mm -hmm. I talk about my first career profile was being a drummer. Then I went from being a drummer to a drummer and an educator. Then I went from being a drummer and an educator to a drummer, educator, and a producer. Then I went from being a drummer, educator, producer to being a drummer, educator, producer, You know, entrepreneur. Then from all of that to entrepreneur, creative entrepreneur, author, right? And so um, within that, there's all these other profiles, right? You have drummer, you have pianist, you have music director, you know, you have a podcast guy you've got. I mean, we. Could, you and I could be on this podcast all day pulling up profiles. The reality is one doesn't have to be the other. Now, my journey as Ulysses has been drummer, producer, educator, creative, creative entrepreneur, author, what have you. Yours has been same, podcast or whatever. But there's other guys who they may just stay, or, excuse me, and ladies or, or you know, any other uh, orientation where they may decide to just stay with Drummer. Mm -hmm. You know, you have others who just decide to be an educator. You have others who decide to be just a producer. You have others who, uh, like you and I, desire desire to just build businesses. And they're in Silicon Valley. I mean, one of my closest friends is in L.A., and he's a new business developer for a major agency. And all he does is invest and build businesses every day. So there's nothing wrong with either or. I think mm-hmm. what is important is to know what works for you, and and to also to not impose what works for you onto someone else. So right. so if you're that drummer that all you want to do is make a make a living playing drums, great. But then don't get mad at me and throw shade at me for doing something different. Like for instance, Carl Allen told me many years ago, or I should say, told us in our class. He said you have to decide. Do you want to do either two things: make a living or design a career? Says, and I said, "Well, what is that?" He says, "Making a living is when you choose one of those profiles, and your to- total focus is making a living. So you you are doing gigs as a drummer. You you know you're you're pulling out the spreadsheet. You're like, all right, I got seven fifty dollar gigs. That means I'm going to make this amount of money in a month. That means I make this amount, which allows me to pay for my rent, my this, my that, and my this. Right." That's making a living. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are probably 70, 80% of the world does that. Not as a creative, but they do that as a janitor, or they do that as a teacher, whatever. Then you've got the other group, which is where you and I fall into, which is people who have designed a career. And that is when you don't always make decisions for money. You make decisions based on a career. Me writing a book and investing money to get a book or investing money to have, you know, I've, I've done seven solo records And as a between my co-productions or excuse me, co-leading and my own albums, I've released 11 records. That wasn't so I made money. I didn't make money on any of those albums. I did that because I wanted to build a body of work and have a career. And as a result of that, there are opportunities that have come to me because I have built a body of work Mm -hmm. that may not come to the person who's just a drummer. So I think you have to look within your soul and decide what matters to you and be okay with that, but also not get mad at someone else if they desire something different.
0: Analog sound for a digital world is finally here. Sonar has transformed the original Sonar sound, look, and feel of the 50s, 60s, and 70s drums into a contemporary concept called the Sonar Vintage Series. Complete with an updated teardrop lug design, round bearing edges for warm, deep, low-end tone, A reissue of the classic iron-shaped bass drum bracket and exciting finishes, the Sonar Vintage Series is the obvious choice for anyone who has one eye on the past and one eye on the future. For more information, visit sonar.com. The book is interesting too, because that just, I think a lot of people think that you make a ton of money off of books where no. you don't, but it's a, but it's good for, <laughs> it's a, it's a calling card for speaking gigs. It's a calling card for other opportunities. Yeah. It's, it's, it adds to your yeah. body of work. Like you said,
1: bro, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Steve Wilson told me many years ago, Steve Wilson is an incredible jazz saxophonist and educator. Steve Wilson told me many years ago, he said, Ulysses there, you, he says your generation is is the Grammy generation where you wanna do everything to get a Grammy or to get some kind of recognition. He said, and I wanna help you out. Don't make records, don't create career things so that you can get an award. He said, look at your life as a body of work and a journey. And I want you to create a body of work for that reason. So this book cost money (laughs) to, to, you know, there were many stages I had to, first of all, I had to spend time and say no to opportunities so I could start writing. Then I have a co-writer then I had a book proposal. You know, then there's the royalty split and all that kind of stuff. My album that costs money. Right? Um, right. You know, so insane. You know, I'm sure I can't even imagine what you had to invest as well to build your podcast and to build all the other things that you're building. So it's fine. But that's what it. That, that's the difference between consumers and investors, people who are investors. We invest in things that will grow our body of work or our portfolio or. Or or who we are. And then that in turn will create other opportunities, Mm -hmm. is is what Mm -hmm. it is. So that's why I say to people, you know, yeah, I mean, my bills can be crazy. And sometimes having to deal with the life that I have, it can be very expensive. But it also has created a bandwidth and a a kind of broad sense of ownership in my life that not very many people have. And Mm -hmm. as a result of that, when a lot, you know, the pandemic happened, a lot of my friends who were just drummers or just bass players or just guitarist or just pianist, they were struggling and many of them barely made it. I had these businesses and these other things that were part of my body of work that sustained me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. so so, that's when it flipped where it was like, damn, like at one point I was like playing drums and touring and trying to do all this other stuff. Then when I couldn't play drums anymore and I had to sit at home, all that other stuff is what fed me. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the flip side. So, yeah, you could be bored with business. you could be like, man, screw that, I don't think it's important. but there was a period of time, I'm no cats so are back to work now, but there was a period of time where everybody was sitting home for a year. I always make the joke, even Beyonce was sitting at home, right <laughs> So 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 you know that that's where those other things sustained me and, and so that's why I'm always going to be a, a, a huge advocate for you should seek to be more than just a single entity. you should seek, to have multiple streams of income you should, you should seek to have multiple streams of resources and multiple streams of influences and influencers and people in your life that can help you because if all you are pulling from is one channel and one direction that that direction and that channel can dry up in a day and yeah. what happens to your yeah. to your future
0: yeah it's scary i mean I, one of the things that always i don't want to say bothers me but i have like a i have a sort of a soft spot in my heart for musicians who are just hired guns don't really have don't really have the business acumen to do sort of anything else and have contributed so much to the music industry and have cons- and contributed so many great records and tours and things like that and as they get older don't have don't have money can't figure it out like don't have health insurance and are, and are broke. Like that, that breaks my heart. There has to be, I feel like there has to be some other way that, that musicians can get educated about career and finance because you are, you're not like, whether you're, whether you're a sideman or you're you're going out and being a band leader and all that stuff, like you're, you're an entrepreneur and you, you're you running a business and you have to understand how money works. And it just, I don't know, it just breaks my heart, man. Cause you've, you've seen it a thousand yeah. times too. Yeah.
1: I mean, but then there's also, you know, as, as a, co- uh, a caveat to that, there's also jazz foundation of America, uh, Richard Parsons, uh, an incredible businessman started a foundation, which actually Steve uh, music directs a lot of their uh, or, or their galas. Uh, but it's a foundation that, you know, he pays the medical bills of a lot of these old, incredible, Musicians who didn't get this advice, um, he makes sure that you know they they get treatment, or he makes sure if they're if it's you know them getting a home or whatever that is. You also have other organizations like Music Cares that uh, is uh, headed by the Grammy or the National Recording Academy. That uh, you know, I actually just met a friend the other day who she and her husband. Uh, their home was affected by one of the hurricanes down here in Florida, and they went to Music Cares, and Music Cares gave them funding to be able to, you know, take care of that. So I agree. I think it's unfortunate, but there are organizations out there that are created, and I think there's more that are being created um, to help. I mean, even during the pandemic, you had the Newport Jazz Foundation, you had the Louis Armstrong Foundation, um, you also had people like Doris Duke Charitable Foundation. I mean, so like, I hear you, and I agree. But for those that do go down that path, that's unfortunate. You're going to always have people who, for whatever reason, whether it's lack of education or resources, who don't go, they don't take care of that stuff. But I think there are more organizations that are going to be around and maybe other people that are kind who, who can help them, you know, mm-hmm. in the midst of that.
0: Well, I don't know. I don't know about a Juilliard, but when I was in music school, they didn't talk anything about business, about finances, about how to set aside money for taxes. They didn't talk about insurance. I mean, they didn't talk about any of that stuff.
1: That is why this is here. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I say that not being uh, uh, promoting, but I say that to say that's why I wrote this book. I literally, it, it, you'll hear me talk about it a lot in the promo video. I wrote the book that I wish someone had written for me because right. for instance, when I, I took two business and music classes, At Juilliard, one was a business of music class for classical musicians, which the the context of the class was a half a semester. And we spent time talking about how to apply for an orchestra position, how to write a bio, how to get a good headshot and how to write a a cover letter to orchestras. That was the extent of that class. The other class that was actually for jazz majors, which was taught by one of my mentors, was about really the, the the record industry and mechanical like royalties and license and all this kind of stuff. But again, it didn't talk about how to build a tour. It didn't talk about all the stuff you're talking about. Um, then I went and bought a business book. It was called This Business of Music. There's been many different iterations of it. Um, and you know, again, not written by somebody who did the work. And so what I found in this sector is you've got all these people who are just kind of writing thesis statements, but none of them have actually lived it. So that's right. why I wrote the book, because I was like, OK, I mean, my book really caters to, I mean, people have told me it caters to, yes, jazz musicians, but also musicians that play multiple genres. Also, I've been told that it could, it could be applicable to, to people just in the creative industry. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, because I'm an active participant in this journey, and I think that was why I wrote it, because I'm like, I also haven't figured it all out. And you very rarely have people who who are on the journey talking about it. So, yeah, yeah, man, that's 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 why I I wrote the book so that you could have like at least like, okay, Ulysses talked about this in this book. Now let's go further. Or, man, Mm -hmm. Ulysses brought this up. Let's go further into that discussion versus before this. Nobody had ever put all of this in one place for us to even have the conversation.
0: Right. Right. So the book's called The Musician's Career Guide, Turning Your Talent into Sustained sustained
1: Success. success. Yes. And And, uh, I'll give you. Oh, go ahead.
0: I was just, I was going to ask, so this is, you said, this is the book that, that you, that you wish someone had yeah. had written before and it, and it covers everything. It covers career development, touring, roles within the music industry, recording deals, yeah, PR, you, marketing for artists.
1: I'll give you the chapter. So I broke the book up into four parts. The okay. first part is what you and I just said, you are a business. And that deals with maximizing your environment, career profile, what musicians need to know about business, business planning and navigation for musicians part two, the music industry. And this is where I talk about roles within the music industry, record deals, uh, but also you know, what most music business books have done before is they talk about record deals as it pertains to like one kind of structure. And they use the structure that is really antiquated, which is kind of like a pop structure. But that structure really only exists for like the, the very fortunate few. Most of us are gonna probably deal with a couple of different structures, which is like cash and carry, Uh, with a small indie label or we're paying for it ourselves and we license it to someone else or we just pay for it ourselves and we do all the other network. So I talk about that. I talk about endorsement, public, you know, PR, touring. And then the third part is entrepreneurship and branding, where I talk just about laws of entrepreneurship, learning how to sell yourself, public speaking, marketing. And then the last piece, which is art and survival. And that was a big thing for me because I felt that, to be honest, in other books, I felt, because, I, I, man, I, I pulled every book that existed on it and and every current book that existed. Um, most of those books kind of dealt with you are a business, dealt with the music industry. And then you have entrepreneurship books that dealt with entrepreneurship and branding, but you never had that piece in a music book. And then mm-hmm. this last piece, nobody had the art and survival, which is protection of you yourself and the art, financial management, keys to community engagement, mental side of being a musician, emotional side of being a musician. And then also the the biggest piece that I love talking about, which is mastery,
0: which mm-hmm. is a lot of
1: what you and I discussed earlier. And it's the t- to me, it is the biggest lie and quintessential quality that is lacking is that we're not talking about mastery is the way to get to the things that we want. We think that all you have to do is want it bad enough and it will happen. Whereas if we don't understand that wanting it bad enough or even being attractive or you know whatever those are just like helpful qualities, but ultimately the people who make it in this business in a sustained way, sustainable. I'm not talking about overnight success, but mm-hmm. a sustainable way are people who have mastery.
0: Yeah, I agree. And the the book is through Simon and Schuster, so it's not like some rinky dink uh, company that that is putting this book out. So it's available everywhere. You can get it on Amazon, yes. pingle, Get it on your yeah. site.
1: Yeah, I'm thankful. Yeah, I mean, um so so Skyhorse Publishers are the 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 publishing company who signed me and they we have a great distribution deal with Simon and Schuster. So yeah, they both are partnering, they support this book. And uh yeah, man, I had to go through hell on high word. I mean, you know, I had written the book, then when I got with my co-writer, she was incredible. She really helped me frame it and shape it. Then I had to go through a whole editing process with their editors, mm-hmm. you know. So this book has been fully vetted, fully researched, fully um, fully backed and, 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 uh, yeah, man, it's, it's out there. And again, I, I, I keep wanting to reiterate that it is literally my gift to share my life and my story with other people, because there are a lot of people who don't want to open up and be honest. Um, I share my mistakes in this book. I share, you know, things I wish I could have done better in an effort that other people can learn from this.
0: Yeah. How do you, how is the process of writing a book?
1: Man, it's arduous, um, <laughs> I, I, and I would say it's not for the faint of heart. There, there are a lot of different ways to write a book. Um, I would say that you know, there's there's sort of two facets. There's writing the book as a self like independent publisher, like you're just gonna put this out, and I know a lot of friends that are doing that. And then there's writing the book to have a publisher help you. What I will tell you is, for both, the way to start the I'll give i I'll, I'll give away some free advice. Three ways or three key things to do if you want to start a book is first, figure out what is it that you want to write about. And it needs to be something that you are passionate about that you can really have an expert opinion on. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is come up with that title. So for me, I remember this actually wasn't called The Musician's Career Guide. Uh, the, The publisher came up with that title. My original title was um, talent, what was it? Talent is just a cocktail. Because <laughs> I had this thing, <laughs> I had this thing where my my friend said to me, he said, oh, he said, uh, oh, Ulysses, talent isn't important. It's just a cocktail at the party. <laughs> so, I like so it. That was, so that was a horrible title.
0: Then I, I, was, I like the title because I think people are right. like, what? When I'm also I, not a publisher, so.
1: Yeah, right. then, um, Then I think it was just like, Music business one on one, I had a whole bunch of titles. so anyway, I think second, come with what, what come up with what I would call a working title, and that helps you to kind of focus, and then I would say the third thing that someone really is great advice and is how I start every book project is start listing out what you think will be chapters, okay? so right. you've got what is the idea, second, what is your working title? Third is list out your chapters. And then another key part of that is once you've listed out all your chapters, list, um, excuse me, start writing what's called chapter summaries, which are basically like one to two paragraph statements for your chapters. And I say to people, this is the best way to start your book writing process because a lot of people always say, oh, I wanna write a book, oh, you know, I wanna do this. If you can get through the idea, formulate that idea and all the crazy thoughts into a working title, then you can formulate that into chapters and then formulate that into chapter summaries. Brother, that's the, that's the beginning part of your book proposal. And yeah. for anybody that wants to pitch their book to a potential publisher, you have to go through a book proposal. And a book proposal is essentially this large, large, I mean, it's, just, it's not only the book and the book idea, but it's all these other components that you will need to prove to the publisher that your book is worth something that they should publish. So I would say that that three-step process that I just gave you can help prepare you for the book proposal, which is a bear. And then once you get through that, most um, companies, but most publishers will then decide, do they want to sign you or not based on the level of your book proposal and how engaging it is.
0: Right. So, right. I love So it, that's man. that's
1: a little one-on-one book, how to write a book.
0: <laughs> I, well, I can't, I mean, I, one, I'm I'm a big proponent of books. The yeah. book that really changed my life, two books, uh, uh, the Four Hour Work Week, and then and then The Big Gig by Dom Familaro. Okay, so I have no idea why, but I said that The Big Gig is by Dom Familaro. It is not. It's by Zorro. Uh, I'm not sure how I made that mistake. Uh, I've read The Big Gig probably three or four times. I know it's by Zorro. I've talked to Zorro about it for some reason. Dom Familaro popped into my head when I was talking about the book. Anyway, it's called The Big Gig. It's by Zorro. I don't know how I made that mistake, so I'm sorry to Zorro, and I'm sorry for all of you who are probably thinking, Nick has no idea what he's talking about. Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. In this case... I guess I didn't, and I made a mistake. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. Oh and yeah, check that out, man! I I read that book. Uh, I was on vacation with my wife, or my who was my girlfriend at the time. We were in Italy, and I brought that book with me. And I was in the restaurant business with my family. Wow! And I read that book and was like, I don't want to be in the restaurant business anymore. I was like, wow. and I I got home, started Drummers Resource, and like, oh know, man, started, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great book. So, and the reason why I'm saying that is I, I believe that the information is out there and you adding this, you adding this book to, you know, to the, uh, to the music industry is great because like you said, there's, if you want the ins and outs of like mechanical royalties and all that kind of stuff, like go look at, go look at um Don Passman's book, everything you need to know about right. the music business. It's right. in there. And that, yeah,
1: exactly. And exactly. that's written
0: by a lawyer and all that kind of stuff is right. in there. And if you right. like, and there's a lot of books out there about, like, how to be a drummer, right? Right. But there's not right. a lot who are, who have mixed. I don't know of any. So, and yeah. I've sort of looked for those over the years. Yeah. So, so this book, yeah. I'm excited to get my hands on because I'm going yeah. to gonna rip through it.
1: Thank you. And to your point, that, that was the book I was referencing was the Donald Passman book. Mm-hmm. That, that, was, that was the textbook for my music business course in jazz uh, when I was at Juilliard, but to your point, it was written from the perspective of a lawyer, but also Donald Passman was writing about again, an industry that wasn't the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, so to your point, it was incredibly thorough, but again, I mean, it was this big ass, you know, <laughs> book versus I'm like, okay, first of all, we need to shrink it. And we also yeah. need to have, you know, like my book starts from the journey of like, how do you fall in love with music? You know, and then, and because the other thing about Donald's book is very sterile. It's very, it's great, but it's also very like corporate. And most of us don't come to music from that perspective. We come to music from this very passionate, artistic place. And so what I felt was missing from all of those books was this narrative, like this actual like voice Mm -hmm. that's like guiding you through, like this person is basically saying, hey, let me hold your hand and let me take you through my, this journey, but also through my own journey. So this, this sort of kind of, uh, friendship tone versus like Passman's book, which is, you know, you take this mechanical royalty and you divide it by two and then the point two x and,
0: yeah. I mean, how is that going to
1: help the average kid just putting, some, just putting some stuff on YouTube? That's not going to help that person. It's, and it's dry you know, for sure. Yeah, and at one point it existed. Now, I got to read Don's book because probably what affected you about it was, again, it came from a person who you admired and it was yeah. his voice through the you know through uh the or his voice and his experiences through the uh the industry.
0: Yeah, it's called the Big Gig. It's a great book.
1: Yeah, for I'm going sure. yeah, to look it up right now.
0: Um. Well, man, I I appreciate you for coming for a couple things. One, always supporting the podcast. Two, coming on the podcast for a second time. And three, being always at the forefront of one, trying to educate people, trying to help the, the, the people who are coming after us along, putting a book out, you know, sharing your wisdom, all of that. I love that, that you're no pun intended. You're always an open book with, with a lot of these things. Uh, because I think a lot of people keep some things close to the chest, but you're always, you're always willing to talk about them and share your ups and your downs, your wins and your losses. So I, I appreciate that, man. And, uh, everyone should go out and grab the book. It's called the musician's career guide turning your talent into sustained success
1: well uh, thank you man I, and man, send me your address nick because i'll have the publisher send a copy to you man so that'd be great please send i appreciate it yeah, i appreciate
0: that. it and ulysses thank you again man thank uh, you i appreciate you keep doing what you're doing and All thanks for everything
1: you too man keep being that that positive voice for the drumming community we need
0: you brother i will i will All thank right. you dude i'll talk to you take soon. care man thank you man. There you have it. The one, the only Mr. Ulysses Owens Jr. Make sure you check out his new book called The Musician's Career Guide. Also, you can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 620. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode because I know that I got a lot of information out of it and Ulysses just drops nugget after nugget. So hope you enjoyed it. If you do enjoy the podcast, be sure to rate and review it. You can do that on iTunes. It takes a minute and lets people know that they should be listening to Drummer's Resource. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer, Nick Rafini, that's me, edited by Justin Thomas, video editing by Tomas Shannon and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.